Lord, open our hearts as we talk to us as husbands, and yet as wives, Lord, may we be attentive as well. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 All right. Are you kind of relaxing a little bit this summer? This, this four weeks that we've been looking at here, and next week will be our last week on it, is we're just looking at men. And I, I just think it's important for us as men and as women to really understand where we are in relation to manhood and womanhood and what that is in light of God's purposes. But us guys, we're kind of hard headed and sometimes uh, we, we, we don't learn the best. So I thought uh, our, our church is going to be offering some lifelong learning classes for men. Okay, are you ready, Randy? Some lifelong learning classes this summer for men. Here's class one. Um, and let me say this, due to the complexity and difficult, difficulty level of their contents, class sizes are going to be limited this summer to only eight guys per class, all right? So here's what you can choose from, and so you want to pay attention. Class one is going to be how to fill up the ice cube trays, step by step with slide presentation, okay? So if you want to sign up for that, you have anybody over there need to sign, sign up for that? Class number two, the toilet paper roll. Does it change itself? Roundtable discussions will be held, okay? Uh, class number three, is it possible, pardon my English, to, uh, uh, well, to relieve yourself using the technique of actually lifting the seat, avoiding the floor, walls, and nearby bath, bathtub? There will be, well, I'll leave that one. Class four, fundamental differences between the laundry hamper and the floor. Pictures and explanatory graphics. Are you ready? All right, class five, dinner dishes. Can they levitate and fly into the kitchen sink? Examples on video. Now, I hear a lot of women giggling. I don't hear any men saying it's doing anything. Class six, loss of identity, losing the remote to your significant other, helpline support and support groups. Class number seven, learning how to find things, starting with looking in the right places and not turning the house upside down while screaming. Open form. You ever had a problem with that? You know, where is, where is it? Class 8, health watch. Bringing her flowers is not harmful to your health. Graphics and audio tapes. That would be a good one. Okay, class 9, real men ask for directions when lost. Real life testimonials. Okay, anybody, any guys have problems with asking for it? Does any guy here get lost? Yeah, okay. Now, I'm just directionally challenged, so I need my GPS. I know, uh, Dana, you know, GPS, it's really yeah, God's gift to directionally channel. Better than talking to strange men along the way at gas stations. <laughs> Ga- number, glass 10, uh, is it genetically possible to sit quietly while she parallel parks? Driving simulations, okay? Class 11, learning to live. Basic differences between mother and wife. On classes and online classes and role playing. That's an important distinction. Class 12, how to be an ideal shopping companion, relaxation exercises, meditation, and breathing techniques. And class 13, how to fight cerebral atrophy, uh, atrophy, I'm sorry, atrophy, remembering birthdays, anniversaries, and other important dates, and calling when you're going to be late. Oh, that's where I'm guilty. Cerebral shock therapy sessions and full lobotomies offered. And then finally, class 14, some of you want this, the stove oven, what it is and how it's used, live demonstrations, okay? So sometimes, you know, we, we, us guys, we need to learn, 
You know, sometimes we're, we're hard to learn. This is the man's prayer. I'm a man, but I can change if I have to, I guess. Okay, can you relate to that a little bit? So we're talking today about husbands. Now, uh, you know, giving and taking advice can be kind of kind of dangerous stuff, but uh, we, we want to man up. Guys, we want to man up and learn how to be the dads, the men, the dads, the husbands, and the leaders that we need to be. Next week, we'll talk about leadership, but what we want to focus on and uh, today is, uh, is being husbands. Let's look at your notes, and as we do, being the kind of man that God wants you to be, such men are hard to find, and, uh, and part of that reason is that uh, godly men are hard to find. And in 1 Corinthians 16, 13 through 14, we saw uh, the key verse of this, session, of, of this series, and it was, it was the key verse that we looked at on our first lesson, and it was this. Be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong, let all that you do be done in love. And out of that, in that first lesson, we looked at four characteristics of men that really man up, and that was they stay alert in prayer, they stand firm in the word, they step forward in obedience, they seek strength from the Lord, and they saturate everything with love. Now, due to technical difficulties, we do have that recorded. The sound quality is not as high as what it usually is, but we'll get those up for you. If you missed that, I would really encourage you to listen to that lesson. And then last week, we talked about how we as dads need to draw our kids whether they're adults or, or, or young or, or soon to be born, we need to draw them to ourselves so that we can draw them to our God. And we used Ephesians 6.4 as our theme first. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And we looked at nine ways of how not to provoke your kids. And I don't know if you, uh, I know, Audrey, you got this somewhere, but uh, she has it here. And so if you didn't get this, uh, you know, if you don't know how to provoke your kids, it pretty much comes naturally. But if you want to uh, bone up on it, how to provoke your kids. So I've got over 50 specific ways. And I asked someone about this, you know, hey, what would you think of that handout? They said, well, you know, I kind of looked at those first 17 and thought I'm doing okay. And then I looked at the 50 specific ways, and then I started to hurt a little bit. And so uh, take this, and uh, even as parents, and it doesn't matter whether you're a single parent or a, a mom or a dad, we all provoke our kids, and that's just a reality. What we need to know is where we do it, how we do it, and then how to avoid it. And so again, we'll have that up online at glenwoodconnection.org that you can take a listen to that. So I, every parent, I mean, that's the kind of lesson you need to listen to like once a year, if not once every six months, if not every month. Just a reminder of how not to provoke our kids. But we're looking at masculinity, and it says in your notes, masculinity is the courage to man up and be the man that God created you to be and Christ saves you to become. And the, the whole idea of this is we deep down men know what we want to be. The problem is we don't often talk about it. And, and more than that, we often don't know what to do about it to become the men that we want to be. And here's the reality. We are inundated with entertainment and Hollywood's philosophy of what manning up looks like. So we're constantly being pushed in the wrong direction. We're constantly being pressured in the wrong way. And then suddenly we come to church and we kind of assume manhood. We assume womanhood. So I'm giving you these definitions, 
And I spend a lot of time on definitions because if you don't know what it is we're talking about, you can't become what you need to be. So what's it mean to man up? It means to become the man that God created you to be. So you're going to have to go to God to get the instructions. You're going to have to open the owner manual, the Bible, and you're going to have to be in it to know the man that he wants you to be and the woman for that matter. And then the good news is Christ saves you to become that person. So it's not just God just doesn't dangle the ideal above you and say, here, work on it, work on it. One day you'll arrive and I'll reward you. No, the very opposite is true. Look, here's the ideal and I'll come down and become a man. I'll become the ultimate human being. I will show you what that is. Then I will die on a cross. I will take all your sins. And then I will give you my righteousness so that you can become what I created you to be. That's the hope of the gospel. And that's just good news. Now, this morning, we're going to focus on the role and responsibility of being a husband. And the key passage, it is the key passage, I believe, in the New Testament of where do I see the role of husband? It's Ephesians 5. For some of you, as you turn there in your Bible, so go ahead and turn. As you turn there, you're going to find, well, you know, this thing's already marked up. I, I've heard numerous sermons. I mean, how many sermons and how many lessons can I get out of Ephesians 5? And the scary thing is a whole lot. Because no matter how familiar, and here's the danger, you're so familiar, some of you are so familiar with this passage, that you're going to think like I would think. Well, I've been there and done that, I've heard that. Well, here's the kicker. You're right, for most of you, many of you, you've heard it numerous times, but that's not the question Jesus is going to ask us. How many times did you hear about how to be a husband? What he's going to ask is, How did you do it? How did you apply it? How did it work in your life? Now, all of a sudden, if I get real honest, I better go back to this passage that I'm so familiar with and evaluate where I'm at. So let's look at Ephesians 5, 22 through 33. Ephesians 5, 22 through 33. Let's let's read through it. Wives, and it begins with wives. There's irony in that, and yet there's reality in that. We'll talk about why. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Yes, that word is in the Bible, submission. And you can't take it out, and you can't explain it away. But we'll help you better understand it. The world's distorted it, our flesh distorts it, the devil distorts it, and tries to drive us away from what God has best for us. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. You see, in all of his glory, God's going to set the church up, his bride, with his glory and and shine his attention and direct our attention to his bride. It's not a bad thing to be a woman married and in submission. It's a glorious thing. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. 
For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast or cleave or cement and glue himself to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Now, what we have here is the husband's number one responsibility, the number one responsibility and how to fulfill it. And here's how I've tried to summarize all that, all that truth, all that greatness in this passage. I've summarized into this. Here's the husband's number one responsibility. Show the world how Christ is a loving leader to his bride, the church. How? By fulfilling your spiritual responsibility. Well, what is that? To be a servant leader who sacrificially loves your wife. Here's the husband's number one responsibility. It doesn't focus on your wife. It's ultimately not about satisfying her. See, we have made the Christian home, family, and marriage a god. And if you're not careful, if you listen to Christian teaching on family and home, you would think that the focus needs to be on my kids. In fact, last week on how to, not to provoke your kids, I kept having to guard again. You know, this isn't about being child-centered. It's about being Christ-centered. It isn't about satisfying your every need of your wife. There's so much dysfunction in Christian marriages from saying, oh, I've got to submit to my husband. I've got to do what my wife wants so I can love her, all in the name of God and, and the whole time doing things that are, that are not God, God's priorities. Why? Because we've over-focused on that. Listen, here's the number one responsibility. Show the world how Christ is a loving leader to his bride, the church. How? By fulfilling your spiritual responsibility. And what is that? To be a servant leader who sacrificially loves. If you want a real short definition of that, be a loving leader like the Lord Jesus Christ. Be a loving leader to your wife like the Lord Jesus Christ is to his bride, the church. In this passage... We see three things. It tells us what to be or what to do. That's be a servant leader. It tells us how to do it, be a sacrificial lover. And it tells us why to do it, to practically show the world how Christ is a loving leader and to personally steer your wife and kids towards the ultimate loving leader. Here's why, men, we need to be loving husbands. It's not because we can satisfy our wives. Okay, now come on, men, man up and say amen to that. We cannot satisfy our wives. And now the women's opportunity. We can, your husbands cannot satisfy you. <laughs> I will not even comment on that. Now here's the reality. The reality is this. The reason for that is we're to be loving leaders to point them to the ultimate loving leader. See, we are, we are selling each other a bill of goods saying, oh, hey, I'm going to learn how to be a Christian husband so that I can meet your very, all your needs. Baloney. I'm going to be an imperfect, sinful, failing, loving leader so that hopefully I can personally steer you to the one who is perfect, sinless, and can meet your every need. Now, I hope that's a shift 
in some of your thinking, both husbands and wives. I hope that is a help because that's where this passage goes. So I have a a sacred duty. I have this awesome responsibility, but it doesn't all bear on me. If I will do my part, I will direct my wife and my kids to the one who they ultimately are looking for, whether they know that or not. So let's look at it. How to fulfill a husband's number one responsibility. It really comes in two parts, and let's look at the first part. Number one, man up and be a servant leader to your wife. That's the first thing. That's the first thing that's addressed, and it's in verses 22 and 24. So look there in your Bibles, verses 22 and 24. We see man up and be a servant leader to your wife. Now, Paul begins by addressing how wives should respond to the leadership of their husbands. Do you find that an odd thing? It is an odd thing, but it's, it, it makes sense when you realize this. Paul is simply assuming leadership. He's assuming authority. He's assuming, and he's saying, look, he, there, there's, there should be leadership there. Well, you know, the first question is, guys, is there leadership to submit to? But he begins by addressing wives, and in doing so, he makes clear that marriage is not a 50-50 partnership where each person shares equally in the responsibility to lead the marriage in the home. Now, that right there, you just have to address right up front. Marriage is not, contrary to the world thinking, contrary to our natural thinking, marriage is not a 50-50 partnership. That's why he says, wives, submit to your husbands. Husbands, you're the head of the home. This isn't a 50-50 deal where each person shares equally in the responsibility and the authority to lead. Wives are to respectfully submit to their own husband's leadership. Now, that's good news. Ladies, you're not to submit to every male. You're to submit to your male, your husband, out of a heart that is fully surrendered to the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice it says submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Now, since there's tremendous confusion and even rejection, even within the church, of the God-given roles and responsibilities in marriage, we need to be very clear of what kind of leadership we're talking about. That's why I called it servant leader. I didn't just say be the leader of your wife, be the servant leader. What kind of leadership is the husband to provide and what kind of submission is the wife to practice in marriage? I'm going to give you four words that I think will help you with this. And they come right out of this passage. Let's look at these four words. It'll tell us what kind of leader we are to be And wives, it will show you what kind of submission you are to provide. Number one, the word is equality. The number one word, the first word, is equality. Now, I thought you said it's not about equality. You're right. Not equality and responsibility, but equality at a more important level. Whatever we say about the responsibilities of men and women in marriage, it's always in the context of equality between husbands and wives as well as men and women. So this is what you want to understand. When you read this passage, and we just jumped in and read it, it's in the context of the whole Bible, and from beginning to end, the whole Bible affirms the equality of the sexes. You know, we think, us Americans, that in the 1970s, the the National Organization of Women came up with this idea of equality, like it was a new idea. Hey, it's been in the scriptures, not always followed, not always carried out, but it's always been there. And so that is our idea. And so we need to reclaim that from the culture. Equality is God's idea. Equality is what we will champion, and here's how we do it. First of all, equality is human beings. In Genesis 1, 16 through 18, God made male and female in his image. Male and female both. Men 
Uh, women, you are as much in the image of God as a man. You do not need a man in order to be in the image of God. You are as human as a man. You say, well, of course we are. We're in this enlightened age. Well, listen, that hasn't always been uh, believed or practiced or, or shared. You're just as human. Women do not need a man to make them more human. Men, you don't need a woman to make them more human. We need to remind singles of this truth, widowers and widowed of this truth, that you don't have to be married to be human. Can I hear an amen? Both men and women do not need each other to be more human, but we do have to admit this. Men and women need each other in order to survive as human. How will the race propagate without men and women? I know, I know that's basic, but it is biblical. So listen to 1 Corinthians 11.11. If you want to, turn there in your Bibles. 1 Corinthians 11.11. This profound but basic truth is right there in the Scriptures. And I think sometimes we forget the simple stuff. Here's 1 Corinthians 11.11. However, in the Lord, neither is woman independent of man, nor is man independent of woman. In the Lord, we need one another. For as the woman originates from the man... Women would not be here without Adam's rib. But notice what he goes on to say. So also the man has his birth through the woman, and all things originate from God. So in other words, women, don't get on your high horse. You wouldn't be here if you hadn't come from Adam, a man. And men, don't get on your high horse because you aren't here today except for some woman agonizing, giving you birth. And here's the bottom line. It's not about you men. It's not about you women. All of it comes from God. See, it's really about getting in tune with how God created the universe. So there's equality as human beings. Secondly, we have equality as Christ followers. In Galatians 26 through, uh, Galatians 3, 26 through 28. Turn there. Galatians 3, 26 through 28. We see a very, Simpler, simple and very pivotal statement on the equality of men and women, not only as human beings, but as Christ followers. When you come to Christ, there's equality at the foot of the cross. Galatians 3, 26 through 28 says this, For in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. I wish I could elaborate on something. There's some richness in this stuff. He's saying, look, all the rights and privileges of a firstborn son are yours, male, female, slave, Jew, Gentile, for as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. You are all one in Christ. Now, what that means is, spiritually coming to Jesus, we're all equal at the foot of the cross. It doesn't mean that there aren't male-female roles in marriage. He's going to go on and talk about that in Ephesians. It doesn't mean that there's not male leadership in the church. Uh, That's clearly defined as well. It's saying, though, when you come to Christ, when you pray, you get saved, He sanctifies you, all of that, it's equally shared, male and female. Women are not being shortchanged, and neither are men. This is why it says in 1 Peter 3, 7. 1 Peter 3, 7 says this. Husbands, in the same way, live with your wives with an, un, with, an under, with an understanding of their weaker nature, yet showing them honor as co-heirs of the grace of life. Co-heirs. Just as Adam and Eve ruled together. Adam is head, wife is, uh, Eve is helpmate, but together they ruled, and together they walked with God. 
So whatever the differences are between husband and wives, when it comes to responsibilities in marriage, it has nothing to do with their individual worth as human beings or believers. Listen, if being a servant leader, men, you think that somehow takes away from your masculinity, look at Jesus Christ. He was a man, a man's man, and a servant leader. Ladies, if you think humble submission takes away from your personhood, look to Jesus Christ. He submitted his entire life, leaving heaven, coming to earth, going to the cross, even to the point of death on a cross, all in humble submission. If you somehow think that takes away from your, your personhood, then look to him. We glory in his cross. We glory in his servanthood and his submission. You see, when we both look at Christ, we're, we're on track. Husbands, man up and be a servant leader who treats your wife as your equal, personally and spiritually. Cannot underline that enough. Second word is authority. So we have equality, but there's still authority. And here's the second word, authority. Being the head, look at verse 22. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Verse 23, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. Now, this word head refers to in a a relationship means being the one who possesses the responsibility and the authority to lead in a relationship. You, You can't get around it. This means that the head of something is the one who has the responsibility and the authority to lead. Notice that the wife is to submit herself to her own husband as her head, just like the church is to submit herself to Christ. Now, submit means to submit oneself. So, number one, ladies, no one can force you to submit. That's something you have to choose to do. Men, you can't demand that. You can't demand submission. It's commanded by the Lord, and you just have to pray that your wife will be obedient. You can't manipulate someone into submission. You have to submit yourself. The word for submission here is hupotasso. Now, we had a whole series, hupokuo, bring yourself under what you hear. Hupotasso means to submit oneself, line oneself under another's authority. It was a military word, and it meant it was used in the first century of a soldier lining up under the authority of his officer. And so to submit would be to come under one who's authority and say, I am here, I'm lined up, I'm under your authority, what do you want me to do? Now, before you freak out, ladies, the context in marriage is not military. It's not military, but the idea is still the same. The idea is, here's the one with the authority, here's the one with the responsibility. Now, place yourself under his leadership and his authority. You say, I don't like that. Let's change that. Okay, but remember, when you change that, what do you change too? You change the church's relationship to Christ. You say, well, let's make them equal. Let's be enlightened. Let's do what the culture is and make everybody equal. Okay, let's suggest that to Jesus. Jesus, we decided down here in American culture in the 21st century, worldwide global equality, that we're not going to change the relationship of the church to your lordship, and we're going to do this 50-50 now. We're partners in this. Now, what do you think Jesus is going to say? You know, he's not going to say anything because he's going to say that's just not the way it is. You see, it's linked together. Now, listen to this. Just as the church 
as the bride of Christ, should joyfully and willingly place herself under the authority of Christ, so wives should joyfully and willingly place themselves under the authority of their two husbands. Notice what it says, just as, just as, even as. Verse 24, now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to everything to their husbands. Now, let me make this important distinction. The two relationships are similar, but they are not the same. They're similar and not the same. Husbands, you are not little gods, and your wives do not surrender yourself, surrender to you as though you are God. That's not the idea. And wives, you do not surrender yourself to your husbands the exact same way you surrender yourself to God. Rather, because you are fully surrendered, you have fully surrendered yourself to the lordship of Christ. You joyfully and willingly surrender yourself to the leadership of your husband. Here's the point. Because I love the Lord and I'm submitted to him, I'll do what he says in my marriage and submit myself to my husband. Do you see the difference? So he's not God. He's God. And because he's God, I'm now going to relate to you in our marriage in this way. Listen to this. You look past your imperfect husband to your perfect Lord and show Christ's lordship by following your husband's leadership. Let me say that again. You look past your imperfect husband to your perfect Lord and you show your submission to his lordship by following your husband's leadership. Now, husbands, here's where we man up. Be a servant leader who actually leads by being out front and showing the way by your walk and your talk. See, I I can encourage women all I want to follow us as men, but guys, if we're not out front leading, there's nobody to follow. Notice what John Maxwell says, a leader is one who knows the way, goes the way, and shows the way. So the question is, guys, do we know the way? Are we going the way? Are we showing the way? If so, then wives... We should be submitting to that. Number four is re, uh, number three is responsibility. Responsibility. Greater the authority, greater the responsibility. See, everybody wants authority, but they forget that authority is tied to what? Responsibility. So before you claim, I want to be the leader, I want to be the leader, realize you're saying, I want to be more responsible. I want greater responsibility. Give it to me. My shoulders are broad. I'm ready for the challenge. I want more responsibility. Too often, there's nothing to follow because we're not leading the way and showing the way. We cannot claim authority in our marriage and then wimp out on fulfilling the responsibility, guys. We are to exercise our authority as leaders like Christ did, to serve others to fulfill their God-given mission in life. Are you helping your wives submit, uh, fulfill their God-given mission in life? By fulfilling yours and showing them the joy of that, the fruitfulness of that. Fulfill your responsibility to oversee everything in the home. First Timothy three four kind of helps us see what that responsibility is. First Timothy three four says this: He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children in submission. In submission. Here's the idea: We need to manage and lead in overseeing our home. It doesn't mean you do everything. It means you make sure everything gets done in a way that pleases God and meets the needs of your wife, not your own selfish desires or preferences. So it doesn't, hey, I get to do, you know, I'm the leader, I get to do things my way, get on board. That's not it. 
It's I'm the leader, we need to do things God's way, and I need to make sure that gets done. Help me do it. It doesn't mean you micromanage everything. It means you set your wife free to do what she does best and fits her God-given shape. See, too often we, we want to delineate this is a man's role and this is a husband or a man's role, this is a wife's role, and the two can never interchange. And then we say, that's, if it's true for my marriage, it's got to be true for you and yours. And really what we're saying, it was true for my parents, therefore it should be true for mine, ours. But the problem is you got two people coming into the marriage, which you had two sets of parents, and in this marriage, maybe the husband took care of all the finances, and in this marriage, in this, uh, marriage uh, that you were raised in, the wife took care of all the finances. And now if you say that's the man's role, and you say, no, that's the woman's role, what do you got? you got conflict. The idea is what in your marriage, as husbands, we should manage that the job gets done, whoever is the most gifted and equipped for it. And some people thrive, thrive in things that you would see as drudgery. Are you with me on this? Is that true? Yeah, sure. Let them do it. Husbands, man up. Be a servant leader who takes responsibility for everything that happens or does not happen. See, what we need to really look at, guys, is what's not happening in our homes that should be happening according to God's will. I'm responsible for it not happening. Well, let's go find a church that will do it for us. Well, you probably can find one. I feel sorry for you because when you stand before God, they will not say, how would the church do in raising your kids? They will say, how did you do? So rather than looking for a church that does these things for us, I would be looking for a church that equips me to do it myself. Now, wives, if the number one thing well, let me say this. Men, be a servant leader for everything that happens or doesn't happen. If your marriage is not what it should be, the first place to look is in the mirror. And if your home life is a wreck, the first place to make changes is in yourself. Men, can I hear an amen? All right. Ladies, the number one thing you should be doing is showing the respect that God requires of your man and eagerly following him in whatever steps he takes to lead your family to a more godly future. Ladies, be his number one cheerleader. Can I hear an amen? Ladies, can I hear an amen? Amen. you got to be louder. Be eager to praise even the littlest step he takes to lead you and your children. Don't focus on what he's not doing, what he's not becoming, but what he's starting to do and starting to become. Amen? Okay. All right. You're cool. You should be more awake. Number four is intimacy. Number four is intimacy. So, equality... Authority, responsibility, and intimacy. The head and the body are interconnected physically and spiritually. Look again at verses 28 and 29. Look at 28 and 29. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. See, we ought to be experts at loving our wives because we do it, think in terms of loving yourself, and we're really good at that, okay? For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes, cherishes it. Here's the idea. The life of one flows into the life of the other. If, 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 separation, if, you, if, you're separated from, if your head is separated from your body, what happens? You die. Okay? Legend of Sleepy Hollow. Okay? Some women get married and they, they, they live the legend of Sleepy Hollow. They want to be a body without a head. And even though in the story he knew where to go on his horse without a head, in real life you're directionless and you're dead in the water. 
if you try to have a marriage where I'm going to be the body, but I'm not going to listen to the head. Guys, if we think we could be a head without a body, we're not going to move. Okay? Death is the answer to this. That's why Peter says to, to husbands in 1 Peter 3, 7, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. Listen, if this is going to work, then what has to happen is we as husbands need to love and live and understand our wives, and wives, we need to love and live and get close to our husbands. The closer you are to your wife, the easier it is to lead her. The closer you both are to the Lord, the easier it is to become one and show the world how a marriage really works in Christ. So in your notes, we need to maintain and maximize the marriage triangle. Now, this is so basic, but it's so true. Look at over husbands. If we have a right relationship with Christ, we're going to move closer to Him. Wives, if you have a right relationship with Christ, you're going to move closer to Christ. As you both move most closer to Christ, it's inevitable that you're going to move closer to one another, and because you're both looking to Christ, you're going to be in sync and in rhythm. And so, husbands, as we submit to His Lordship, wives, as we submit to His Lordship, and together we join hands and become one and submit our marriage to His Lordship, then we react to one another, relate to one another with His Lordship, and that forms that beautiful cross in the center of that triangle. Notice what it says, the distance between spouses diminishes as love for the Lordship of Christ increases. The sweet spot of a marriage is centered on the cross. That's why I keep talking to newlyweds and premarital. Listen, the more you put Christ at the center, that's why, guys, you need to be here for these things. You need to be listening to this stuff online, listening to it again and again, and put Christ at the center. Discuss it with your spouse if you're engaged. Discuss it with your girlfriend, your boyfriend, your husband, your wife. We we need to talk about the lordship in our lives. Now, In light of your God-given equality with your wife as a human being and a Christ follower, be a servant leader who leads with authority, responsibility, and intimacy. Now, how do we do that? That's the second part. How do we do it? Man up and be a sacrificial lover of your wife. Man up and be a sacrificial lover of your wife. This is verses 25 through 33. Now, let me say this. Leading without loving is like being a merciless dictator right? Top down. But loving without leading is like being a spineless wimp. Oh, I just love my wife. I do whatever she says. I do whatever will make her happy. We're doing this because she has demanded it. She needs it. Yeah, but is is that what God has led you and says in Scripture? Well, that's not the point. I'm supposed to love my wife. No, 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 no. If you can't lead... If, I'm sorry, you can't lead those you don't love, but it's equally true, you don't love those you won't lead. So you've got to do them both. You've got to do them both. So let's look. Man up and be a sacrificial lover. There's six characteristics. Some we're very familiar with, some I'm going to hit. Let's look at the first one, unconditional love. Husbands, love your wives. Do you realize that in this passage it says no less than four times, husbands, love your wives? Do you think we need to hear this? He assumes we're going to lead. He assumes that we know we're the leader. He doesn't tell us to lead. He says, in your leading, be loving. And he says it four times, verse 25, verse 28 twice, and then verse 33. 
The model for such love is the Lord Jesus Christ throughout this passage who chose to love us when we were unfriendly, ungodly, and unlovely. Now, here's the point. Unconditional love says, I'm choosing to love you even when you're not lovely. I choose to love you when you're ungodly. I choose to love you when you're not friendly. I choose to love you when you're not meeting my needs. I choose to love you when you're not respecting my leadership. I choose to love you because Christ has chosen to love me when I'm all those things. Did you hear about the wedding ceremony where the pastor said, do you take this woman for better or for worse, for richer and for poorer, in sickness and in health? And the groom said, yes, no, yes, no, no, yes. All right. Now, wouldn't that be nice if we could just sign up for the better, the richer, and the healthier? But that's not how real life works, and that's not how real love works. Real love for real life is unconditional love, and God's love for us is unconditional in Christ, and in Christ, we as husbands are to choose to unconditionally love our wives. Men, man up, choose to keep the vows you made to your wife before God and witnesses. Now, Let's be honest, the biggest obstacle to all this is not our wives, it's who? It's us and our selfishness. So the second characteristic of this love is unselfish love. Just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up, Jesus proved his unconditional love for his bride by going to the cross. I'm not going to... We know that. We know that. We look at that. Listen, real love is giving, not getting. It's not demanding. It's serving. Jesus proved his love for us on the cross. There are so many verses that we could look at. Men, look to the cross and let go of self to serve your spouse. Listen, if you look to your wife, she doesn't deserve it. Now, you may, you know, you may, oh, my wife, yeah, no, she doesn't deserve it, okay? And she won't always deserve it, and she can't earn it, and she'll never measure up to it. Instead, look to Christ and just say, you know what? I'm going to die to self like he did, and I'm going to serve her like he serves me. And then number three, third characteristic, an undefiled love. An undefiled love. You see, we can get so tracked in on meeting our wife's needs that we begin to go wherever she leads us, and we don't go in the direction that God leads us, and God always leads us to a sanctifying love. Look at verse 26 and 27, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. There's two sides to undefiled love. First, men, seek to lovingly lead your wives away from what is impure, whatever is ungodly, whatever leads to the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. We should be leading our wives away from materialism, away from selfish pursuits, away from just getting into our own little circle of it's just about our family, and leading our, our spouses, our loved ones, into mission for God. Bondage to online pornography or sensual entertainment prevents us from being sacrificial lovers of our wives with an undefiled love. Men, man up and make your home a porn-free place that promotes white-hot holiness that motivates your wife and kids to greater godliness. The second aspect of it is seeking to lovingly lead our wives closer 
to whatever is godly, whatever is biblical, whatever leads to loving the Lord, His people, and the lost. Men, man up and be the leaders. Men, you ought to be the one saying, we're going to church this week. In fact, we're, not, we're going to make the decision for the rest of our lives. We have just made the decision. The decision has been made for the rest of our lives, we're going to be in church. The decision has been made, as for, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord for the rest of our lives. We don't get up every week deciding, do we go to church? Do we read the Bible? Do we live for the Lord? That's settled. And I'm leading us in that direction. It's an undefiled love. The fourth characteristic is an understanding love. An understanding love. That's the idea. We've already really hit this, so I I won't say much here, except it says that we are to nourish and cherish our wives. Uh, These ideas of nourishing and cherishing our, our wives, as in verse 29, literally means feed and clothe them. But it's not talking physical. It's talking spiritually. We should be spiritually providing for the growth of our wives and spiritually protecting them so that they can grow in an atmosphere and become the women of God that He wants them to be. Men, do what it takes to protect and provide for your wife, but don't substitute material and protection and financial provision for spiritual provision and protection. Fifth, an unrivaled love. An unrivaled love. Notice what it says in verse 31. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. The two shall become one flesh. When a man and woman choose to unconditionally love one another and say their vows before God and witnesses and and then consummate that on their honeymoon, the covenant promise by sexual intimacy, God makes them one and God says, Jesus said, what God joins together, let no one separate. Marriage is between one man and one woman for life. It's sad, but we have to reiterate that. One woman, one man for life. It's God's design. No one has the right to redefine marriage except God. And His definition, marriage has been set from creation, confirmed by Jesus, and revealed in Scripture. There's no rivals means parents have no business driving a wedge between husband and wife. Can I hear an amen? No rivals means in-laws have no business sticking their noses into their children's marriage. Amen? No rivals mean no other person has any business trying to seduce you or your wife away from one another. Can I hear an amen? And no rivals means no job, no hobby, no friend, no fantasy should ever become between you and your wife. Amen? Finally, the sacrificial love is an uncommon love. It's an uncommon love. The mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. Marriage is a divine mystery. It's a window in time through which the world sees a glimpse of God and eternity. Marriage is a mission in life. It's a witness to the holiness and glory of our Creator. But let me say this, marriage is momentary. You will not be married in eternity except to one. And who is that? Jesus Christ. So we got to get it right now so that we can point to what lasts forever. Our marriage is momentary and it impacts eternity. Now, I want to end with this video because the last point is this. Man up and show the world how Christ is a loving leader to his bride, the church, even if your wife doesn't always respect you or submit. Here's the idea. You can only steer your wife to the lordship of Christ. You cannot guarantee that being a loving leader is going to make her a lover of the Lord Jesus Christ. But I want to give you a video about Robert McQuilkinson. McQuilkin, I'm sorry, Robert McQuilkin 
who was the president of a Bible college and his wife who had Alzheimer's. And he chose to resign his position to care for his wife against the pressure and the conformity of even Christians' advice, okay? So let's, let's, let's take a look at this clip. I'm going to tell you, there's a hero of mine who lives in Columbia, South Carolina. His name is Robertson McQuilkin. And the reason he's a hero is that Robertson was married to Muriel until about two weeks ago when Muriel died in marriage for 53 years. Robertson McQuilkin was the president of Columbia Bible College and Seminary. He was world-renowned as a New Testament theologian, author, speaker. But his biggest fan and supporter was his wife, Muriel. In the 1980s, her health began to deteriorate, and she was diagnosed with Alzheimer's. She slowly, during the late 80s, began to lose her basic skills. She could no longer speak, reason, couldn't feed herself, clothe herself. And so in 1990, when Robertson McQuilkin was the president of Columbia Bible College and Seminary, he stood before the student body and resigned to go home to care for his wife of then 40 years and take care of her. Now, we don't actually have a video of his message, but we do have some clips from their scrapbooks and an audio portion of his resignation speech as he stood before the student body and resigned to go care for his wife. Let's listen. I haven't in my life experienced easy decision-making on major decisions, but uh, one of the simplest and clearest decisions I've had to make is this one, because circumstances dictated it. Uh, Muriel, now, uh, in the last couple of months, seems to be almost happy when with me, and almost never happy when not with me. In fact, she seems to feel trapped, becomes very fearful, sometimes almost terror. And when she can't get to me, there can be anger. She's in distress. But when I'm with her, she's happy and contented. And so I must be with her at all times. And you see, it's not only that I promised in sickness and in health, till death do us part. And I'm a man of my word. But as I have said, I don't know with this group, but I've said publicly, it's the only fair thing she sacrificed for me for 40 years to make my life possible. So, if I cared for her for 40 years, I'd still be in debt. However, there's much more. It's not that I have to, that I get to. I love her very dearly, and you can tell it's not easy to talk about. She's a delight. It's a great honor to care for such a wonderful person. called me on the phone one day, and uh, I was at home. Uh, actually, I was doing some ironing in the laundry room, and he was preparing to give a message at an event he was going to be speaking at, and he said, um, 
if you have a minute, I want to read you a story, and I want to ask you um, what you think about it. And he just, he told me this story, and he read me what Robertson said um, that you just heard on the, on the audio. And he said, do you think I should share that with the people when I give my talk next week? And after I um, paused for a minute just to gain my composure, I said, yes, you need to read that. Uh, you need to tell everyone that story. And um, I was crying all over the clothes, and I paused for a minute, and I said, but I just have one question that I need to ask you. And he said, what is that? And I said, I need to know if you will love me like that. And he said he would. I want to say to you that every one of you in here today needs to answer that question. Not just will the husband love the wife that way, but will you wives be committed to love your husband that way, no matter what God may bring in your life? Because none of us know what tomorrow will bring. None of us know what life will be like when we've been married 40 or 50 years and what kind of difficulties God may allow in our lives. So today is the day to make that commitment and to decide ahead of time, will you be there for each other? Will you care for each other for the rest of your lives? Decide that today. Father, we come and we've been challenged and... Uh... We're not up to the challenge. We can only do it by your grace in coming to the foot of the cross. So I pray, Lord, that we will make that commitment, that I will make that commitment to my wife, that each man will make that commitment to his wife and each wife to her husband, that, Lord, we will love each other with a sacrificial love and in surrender to the Lordship of Christ. Lord, may we put in practice what we know and live out what we long to be. In Jesus' name and for His glory, let's show the world what real love and what a marriage under the Lordship of Christ really looks like. In His name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen.